Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Today, we have Bill on the show. Hello, Martin. The topic of conversation today is going to be very, very interesting. But before we start, let's... uh, A lot of people have been asking, hey, Martin, where do I get all these CEO tools? Where do I get the books? Go to the What CEOs Talk About uh, website, so whatceostalkabout.com, and click the tools, the books, or the resources, and you'll see all of that. You'll see Bill's book back there, his services as well, and any other software that uh, we've talked about on the show is available there. So there you go. Find all the tools that uh, CEOs talk about on those three pages. Thank you very much. Bill, what is uh, name, serial number, rank, all that good stuff? What do you do for a living? Yeah, I have a company, Martin, called Howard HR. We focus on psychological health and safety in the workplace. Uh, What that basically means is we help organizations create cultures that people want to come to work with purpose. Uh, One of the things that motivates me, so why I'm doing this, I spent 30 plus years clinically seeing clients and counseling and psychology world, doing assessment, Mm -hmm. teaching, you know, doing research, writing and all that. And I kind of introduced myself in three buckets. One is that academic background and one is seeing clients and patients for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I create the illusion I know something about mental health. And then the middle bucket is I spent years in different management positions. I was a chief of research at the Conference Board of Canada, chief of research at Morneau-Chapelle, Worked in Wall Street for 12 years in various roles and COO and chief of staff, et cetera. Owned my own business and did a lot of coaching with a lot of executives and CEOs mm-hmm. who run businesses. And then the last part is someone, we don't come with signs. They live my entire life with a mental illness. And we and people don't perhaps understand fully what that means. I'm neurodivergent, which means I'm ADHD and I'm auditory visual dyslexia. And that create a lot of hardship. Back in the 70s in the public education system about not being good enough, which leads to anxiety and all those wonderful things. So I've spent a long time focusing on how can we create better experiences. And really, ultimately, Martin, when people ask me, so what is this mental health thing really? Well, we're not talking about mental illness. Mental illness, we have one in five or more population that have it. There's all kinds of great support systems in place. Mm-hmm. Even sadly, in Canada, that one in five of a mental illness, only 70% of that, you know, of that, sorry, 70% of that population never get any help. Only about 30% wow. are activating. Mental health, however, is five and five, very much like physical health. Agreed. So if you actually understand what all mental health is, is a percent of time you spend in positive, pleasant emotions versus unpleasant. And someone with good mental health, Martin, knows how to live a, their life well when they're not feeling well, because being a part of being a human being is dealing with the ups and the downs, and there's going to be lots of downs. There's going to be lots of ups. And so that's my approach to organizations to try to help them understand the programs, policies, culture, et cetera, how it's impacting the employee experience. 
Fabulous. Thank you. We're going to, we're going to rip that apart. Um, before we do so, what is the title of the show? The title of the show today is not what you do, but how you do it. Da, 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 da. Uh, again, behavioral based people will hear me, you know, anybody who's listened to the podcast before will know that I am all about behavioral based safety, behavioral based leadership, yep. behavioral, behavior, behavior. There is no good or bad behavior. It is enabling or it is creating a risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, fabulous. I am one of my favorite topics. Uh, before we start, Bill, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Where'd you come from? Yeah. It kind of your story yeah. so that we can put context behind the speaker. Yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, I was born in uh, Halifax, spent a few years there. Uh, I was adopted uh, and then moved to Prince Edward Island and spent most of my childhood at Prince Edward Island. Left PEI. Um, I'm the kid that, you know, was in the foster home, adopted, failed right. grade two, couldn't read or write till I was 18. Luckily, I could play some sports. Uh, not very well, but good enough to play university football. Uh, went off to a university called Acadia University. They were very, very supportive <laughs> of me. Um, if it wasn't for Acadia, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. It was a small liberal arts college in Wilful, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. still exists. Um, I had the opportunity to meet with faculty who, you know, they one faculty said, well, how did you get here? And I said, by bus. And that wasn't really the answer they wanted. They wanted <laughs> to know how I get in. So once they figured out that I was dyslexic, I was their problem in their words. And they put in a program in to accommodate me and help me learn how to learn. So, you know, after I learned how to learn, it became kind of a passion for me. And I went off and did a bunch of education and things like that. And I I would say to you is that my story is one of those ones where I've had a lot of setbacks in my life and a lot of hardships because there wasn't a lot of coaching, Martin, on how to be an adult male, ADHD, uh, uh, and how that your impulsivity can create hardship in workplaces and relationships and it took mm-hmm. a lot of years and I'm not saying I got this master yet <laughs> but I'm I'm starting to become more mindful that I'm I'm the best I own my own life and uh, yeah and I and I guess be, growing up as a, my father was a bartender a lot of values and I'm very proud to be a bartender son made life pretty simple and he gave me a lot of um how do you put it I've never been really intimidated by people by who they are, by their wealth. I, mm-hmm. I just pay attention to who they are. And if they're good people and they're kind, I like them. And if they're not kind and they're a bully, then I'm not I'm not a really popular person with them. <laughs> it, um, I have dyslexia or I am dyslexic as well. The uh, I It's funny now how it's recognized and accepted. My daughter is dyslexic as well. And she's got a learning program at school but when you and i grew up it was like okay come on let's go stupid like why can you not get this how come you can't read a book properly it's because i can't see the goddamn letters properly yeah i'm struggling yeah. uh and yeah. because i can't see it then i found different ways of operating right so it just and again i we're, we're not bill and i are not persecuting the system what we're saying is that the system did not know and acknowledge some of the disabilities that we had and and we may do there's some good people around what we are we make fun of it sometimes yeah but it it gave me the opportunity to figure things out in a different way i think um it gave us 
we had different tools and different creative ways to say, okay, here's the situation I'm in. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. How do I, it also taught me to work through adversity. Yeah. I mean, I remember doing tests where, man, I was sweating. I couldn't, I was working. I was so exhausted after the, the test, but then you learn to work through it. So as much as Bill and I have, have been, have shared uh, in, in an issue we're not kind of, you know, stigmatizing the, the whole world and saying you guys didn't treat us well, so we owe you guys owe us something. We're just kind no. of it just defines our super, you know, what we're capable and what we're not capable. And of. I think you said something that's really important to catch on because we want to talk about, you know, we're talking about CEOs and, and when I was on Wall Street, I can remember a story with one of the CEOs I was working being dyslexic. You know, I have like a lot of degrees, like eight. So I'm not like I've accomplished some stuff academically. And I've sent an email to one senior person and they get, went by my office and they said to you, where did you get your degrees in a popcorn box? Oh, and, and I was the chief of staff at the time. And my office was right next to this person. And you could just see the call them in and, and their style wasn't ever to be really aggressive. He just called and he said, cause he, he, the, person knew that their son was ADHD. He said, yeah, I just want to talk to you about my son. You know, my son has a hard time learning. I wonder if you knew that. And he goes, yeah. He said, could you imagine if what if someone actually, if you try to write something and they were rude to him, how would we deal with that? And the guy was, oh, no, you can't. That's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Can't do that. And he said, why? He said, well, you know, you're going to be stigmatizing. And he pulled them all the way into it. And he goes, so the guy next door, I just heard your comment. And He's has auditory and visual dyslexic and he's ADHD, but he's pretty accomplished. And we never made a job description for him to be able to send perfect emails. So I suggest you go over and have a conversation with him because I don't think you really meant to come off like the way you did. Did you? And that was kind of the, that kind of level set at a bunch of those senior folks. Cause we're really, but a lot of people don't realize in the business world, some people, their their grammar and the writing is just perfect. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of organizations are starting to realize that one out of seven are like you and I, have some type of neurodivergence. And if we really truly want to move to inclusion, is let's not assume that we all have strengths across the board. Some of us, to your point, I'm pretty creative and I'm a problem solver and I can think on my mm-hmm. feet. But I'm not going to be the guy or gal or other who can write an email perfectly unless I have my editors. However, I somehow still mysteriously written over 700 articles, published over 50 books. So someone might think I can write, but not really. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of good help to help me. But the reality is, I think, was I start to think what's happening in organizations around this concept around we want to create inclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, what inclusion is, and you said something's really important. A lot of people don't get this. Is that organizations are running policies and programs that, that often, what they're forgetting, ultimately, what they're trying to drive are key performance behaviors, very specifically that drive KPIs, to drive mm-hmm. outcomes. And what we're confusing is knowledge and information with outcomes. So let's mm-hmm. kind of put it together. We're in an information age where about 53% of our population in our country read at a grade six level. The art of reading is atrophying. Parts of people's brain called the default neural network, people's attention span is less than three minutes now. 
most people. Goldfish, yeah. Yeah, you got it. And so what we're right now is, you know, if you're starting to try to run organizations, there's a lot of stuff happening from social dynamic changes and expectations, cultural dynamic changes and expectations. You have, you know, a generation where they're now, we're talking about canceling organizations by silent quitting. What's that? I don't know about that. Yeah, well, so silent quitting is a new buzz term where where workers are uh, intentionally now uh, carving out the time, which is realistically they you know they don't do any work over lunch, they don't check their emails at night, they don't work. Um, they they're creating really really clear boundaries, and they may not physically quit or talk about quitting. But they're not driving to their full potential because they may not feel purpose or value. Oh, I got you. Okay. So we're talking about almost, I'm not saying they're coming to work feeling ill like presentism, but they may not be coming to work with what psychological safety really is about feeling welcomed, included, Mm -hmm. valued, valued, having purpose understanding that they can, you know, it's okay to disagree and it's all right to have an opinion without, you know, um, retaliation. However, accept the possibility that Martin, if I'm your manager or I'm your CEO and I'm passionate, I may have some emotion too. And you might Mm -hmm. have some emotion, but because I'm a little emotional, emotions are reactions. They, they're, they're just emotions. They're just neurochemicals. But what's happened a lot in our society is when people have emotions, they think unpleasant emotion like anger, upset, all these types of emotions are bad. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of positivity, toxicity. We're supposed to be, always get along and not be upset. Oh, I like that positive toxicity. Oh, I love that word. You know oh, what I mean? That's awesome. Right? And you know what I mean? It creates a lot of problems. So really where I'm going with this is that if we can sit with each other more and learn how to have authentic conversations and deal with uncomfortable and deal with emotions and deal with differences. All this is hard. Like, and depending on your load and your stress load and, and your focus, if we can create that space to work through some emotions where people can hear, be a little bit more vulnerable, be open to the possibility that we don't have to be perfect. Cause the challenge is a lot of people think they have to be perfect. Agreed. Which holds them in shame of making mistakes. So conflict is for some people about their belief is you're not agreeing with me because I'm not good enough. So now you're talking my identity where adversity could have nothing to do with me. You just have a point of view. Uh, it's so that uh, there's a couple of things I want to, sure. I want to unpack on that yeah. one. One is we've changed our, so we don't use the term KPIs anymore. Mm-hmm. We use the term KPBs key performance behaviors. Yeah, same here. So meaning we use that terminology yeah. because the the indicator is so for example, let's talk sales because it's the easiest ones yeah. to do. Like how many how many discovery calls did you have? That's easily measured. Right? So I spoke to Bill, I spoke to Tom, I spoke to yeah. Marie, I spoke to Jennifer and that tallied up my target was 25 of those behaviors but i only had 20 okay great so now you've got a key performance behavior not indicator where we're not focusing on the lagging but on the 
a leading indicator, which is a behavior, right? right? That's number one. So I, I absolutely 100%, 200% agree with you is, and I always mention, or people say, well, is it a good behavior or a bad behavior? It's like, well, imagine you're in the savannah and you've got a zebra and a lion, a lioness to be more specific. Yep. They go to the watering hole, the lioness kills the zebra. Okay. Is that a good or bad behavior? Well, it's pretty shitty for the zebra. I agree. Uh, When you look at the lioness who have to feed, you know, four or five cubs, it's an enabling behavior and enables her pride to grow. Okay. So then you go, okay, you go to the watering hole, the lioness jumps on the zebra, zebra gets away. You know, is that a good or bad behavior? Well, it's pretty decent for the zebra because he gets to sustain, he gets to live, he or she gets to live another day. But it's risky for the lioness because now she doesn't, she can't feed the four cubs. Yes. So I always say, you know, is the lioness evil because she wants to feed her cubs? No. Is the zebra, you know, hypocritical because he's running away? No, they're just enabling or creating risk within and it's no different for human beings at work if you're screaming at people is it a good or bad behavior you know is i would change the framework and saying are you creating risk within the organization and the fundamental i think that i use and and we can talk more about this is that every human being we talk about physical safety all the time right oh you know did you not get hurt did we you know put barriers in place to for you to not follow the machinery but we had forgotten that feeling safe mentally Mm -hmm. and emotionally is as important for morale because if the morale is good then performance is good to those kpbs meaning that if every human being can you see me can you hear me do i matter yeah Right? You don't have to overthink it. And I know I'm sure that there's different methodologies, but really when you think about what makes people feel safe is can you see me walk in through the door? Can you engage me in who I am and recognizing? Can you hear what I'm saying about emails? And do I matter? Does really me mistyping grammar or productivity in the wrong way in an email? Is that is that worthwhile? Do I add more value than that grammar mistake or that type? Yeah, of? yeah. You know, I think you're. I think you're spot on. I think a part of it too is the learning curve too. So I think with leaders, you know, being a CEO and being a senior person, you know this. It can be lonely, mm-hmm. and there's so expectations of being able to be composed, and there's expectations oh, to be yeah, unflappable so in the fire. And et cetera. And I think what we we really got that a little bit wrong. I think we want to we want to teach your leaders to go towards the North Star. These are the desirable behaviors. But be open to the possibility you're going to have bad days. Be open yeah. to the possibility you're going to be distracted. Be open to the possibility, like being an old white guy. That's what I call myself now. I have a lot of implicit programming. I have a lot of stuff that my heavens, I'm sure that I upset different underrepresented <laughs> groups all the time. And I'm trying hard to learn. My challenge is, and I think this is when I teach work with very senior folks, is that is to give ourselves some space to be vulnerable 
but forget about being perfect. Forget it. You're just not going to get it. Don't forget about every day. Human be all your teams are going to go. You rock. The reality is most human beings live the world through a negativity bias. We, through our mechanism, how we're actually programmed and imprinted, we are actually trained to survive is to find what's wrong and put more value on it than what's right. So if I go to you, hey, Martin, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. Martin, you suck. You see, now Martin might walk away and go, oh, my heavens, I suck. But what's wrong? I just gave you five goods. Yeah. Like, but our society takes for granted good. Agreed. And thinks bad is super wrong. It's like putting your hand on the stove. And what I believe we need to do is be open that we're going to make mistakes. And if those mistakes are draining us and draining us and draining us, then what is the leader's receptiveness going to be to actually hear mistakes because it's because psychologically is draining them. So one of the things I work with a lot of leaders on is to create space for them to learn how to have conversations that they, they actually need to have. So for example, three conversations every CEO needs to have with every one of their direct reports. Number one conversation with Martin, if you're my new hire, number one is Martin, how are you going to correct me? And how am I going to correct you? Number two, how are we going to fight and be passionate and be able to be authentic with each other? Because we're going to fight for positions. If we care about this company, it's impossible we're both going to agree. So let's talk. We have to learn how to fight with each other and realize that we might get each other pretty hot. But what's our rules of engagement? How How are we going to do it? And then number three is we're going to be in a pinch for time sometimes. And sometimes I want to be able to correct you without explaining why. And I want you to correct me without explaining why. And I want us to build enough trust and enough of a foundation that I understand that if you say, hey, Martin goes to Bill. Hey, Bill, listen, when you did this, this, and this, could you think about doing it next time that way? Thanks. That's the gift. Now I you, agree. You have an opportunity to take it or not, but I find we spend so much time trying to figure out how do I correct Martin so I don't hurt Martin's feelings. Mm-hmm. Now, feelings are important. 80% of all the decisions employees are going to make are emotional. Our problem is we don't really, as many of us, don't know how to live well when we're feeling unwell. So we personalize things. And what happens is in our society is if you look at the Aristotle project, you look at how Google excelled in this concept around top performing teams. Mm -hmm. You look at Navy SEALs. You look at elite groups that work really well. They have an unflappable foundation to tell each other, as Jim Collins would say in his great book, Good to Great, is, the brutal facts of how to be honest with each other. And I think that's why a lot of organizations, I think when, when they think about, you know, CEOs and leadership philosophy, they're spending so much energy in what they're doing 
and assuming what they're doing going A to B to get goals. They're really mm -hmm. important. I don't know, Martin, and maybe you have a lot of experience with this, is pausing to check of how they're doing it. What are the benefits and the unintended consequences in taking stock of that, those actions? I'm just curious what you think about that. The, um, so a lot of people say, oh, stick to the process, stick to the process, stick to the process. And this process is, is steps. But the one thing about continuous improvement, and I lived and worked in Japan, is you challenge the status quo. And what I mean challenge the status quo is challenge the process. Is it still valid? And doing a challenge is you're challenging the task, not the individual. And that's something that we've learned over the years is, okay, why are we not achieving the result? It's not because Bill's not doing it. It's not because Martin's not doing it. What What is the what is the 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 hot point or the choke point that's causing this system to fail. Okay. And so when you look at it in an objective way, it could be a human behavior. Well, nine times out of 10, it is a human behavior because we, like you said, we've not defined and I call it risk management or business continuity is okay. A lot of people forget what happens if shit happens. Okay. If shit happens and Martin starts screaming, well, that's just his methodology of responding to it. It doesn't mean that it's the better one, mm -hmm. but that's how he's programmed. So he's going to get very directive. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people will say, hey, Martin, you've been in the army. You did an emergency response, crisis management. You were SF, all of that stuff. I get in a very, when I feel the heat, I get very commanding. Yeah. What's the situation? What's the mission? What do we have to execute? How do we get there? Mission first. Mm -hmm. Okay. And to minimize casualties. Yeah. So I get in a very commanding position. Well, a lot of people feel that, oh, wow, Martin's becoming very commanding, right? Is it a wartime CEO or peacetime? So when you're <laughs> challenging the status quo is you're going, okay, do I need to be uber directive or can I have a peacetime CEO where collaboration is the key to success, right? The one thing tool that I've used is the core methodology for feedback mm -hmm. is success feedback and guidance feedback. Okay. And to not go too much in detail is context action result. Hey, Bill, when you were at the meeting yesterday, you really paused and listened to everybody. The result of that is that you've created, you're really living our third core value of collaboration, mm -hmm. right? Context, action, result. Yeah. Without having to go too much into detail, Once when people start knowing it, they go, okay, here's what's happening. For guidance, you say, hey, listen, let me offer some guidance here because you're not going in the right direction that we've set or agreed upon. Okay. Here's the context. During the meeting yesterday, Bill, you know, context, action, you kept interrupting everybody. The result is... Hey, listen, you're really not living our third core value of collaboration. What else could you have done? Right? So to answer your question, one, challenge the status quo. Just because you've been doing it for the same way for 20 years doesn't mean that it's the right way. Mm. So Bill is like right on the money. Create time. Make sure that you have enough time in your day to evaluate how things are being done within the organization. Mm -hmm. That is like, you can't, I can't put enough asterisks on what Bill said there well, to create time. I'm guilty of that as well. As, as an owner, I've, I've just recently been permitted by bringing in a, a, a partner, a COO, my, my integrator 
who has liberated my time to be able to look at that. And we work off of each other. He says, Hey, Martin, I need time to really think about what, how we're doing things at work. Okay. He's gone on vacation. He thinks about it, comes back, he's fresh. Then it's my turn. So, uh, and then when you do have an agreed upon methodology, stick to that to talk to each other. If you see me puffing, okay, hey, Martin's not, let's not talk to Martin right now. He's upset. <laughs> well, no, but isn't it interesting that the point, I think you said something's really great. Is your North Star, like you just define where you want to go, your North Star. However, no one says it has to be a straight line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. And then no one says like, I mean, I was doing something the other day and I mean, and I get feedback all the time and, and, and you're kind of surprised by it. And someone said you were in a conversation and you said, you know, notice that you made comments to two males, but the two females you didn't make any comments to is, is you have some implicit bias. And I saw it and I had, I had to evaluate and said, I don't know, perhaps that's why they call it implicit bias, but now it's on my radar. So now mm-hmm. when I go to my next meeting, I'm going to be watching myself and I'm actually going to take notes because what would be a shame is that's not who I want to be, mm-hmm. but, but who I want to be like my mission is to become what I teach by heavens. I still have miles to go to get there. <laughs> so, so what happens is, is for me is I, I'm realizing as I get a little bit older and I'm just realizing that life is we need to set boundaries and leaders need to set boundaries on themselves in regards to what they will own and what they will will not own. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is I do believe we're in a hurry up, get nowhere quick mode too often oh, yeah. versus measure twice, cut once. And remember, you said something really important. We did a CSA study on this and for the pandemic response for psychological health and safety. And one of the things we found when over 200 organizations, a lot of caring for workers, a lot of effort in creating great plans. You know, those beautiful PowerPoints mm-hmm. that you and I would probably tease about because they're really <laughs> not that cool unless after you implement the worker actually knows what's happening. Correct. So there's a lot of effort in organizations in our country on planning and then there's a lot of doing, but here's where it's, where you want to get to behaviors. And I, I'm in the world of, you know, knowledge transfer and all that kind of stuff. However, what the problem is, is human beings, information is useless without transformation. Correct. And the forgetting curve, most human beings forget about 80% of what you teach them the first time because they're, you have to go through the executive brain, through the midbrain to get to the habit. It only takes about 200 days to create habits. So you'd need to do it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening for a lot of organizations is they are doing wonderful programs and policies. They would be probably well served to do less and sit with their workers and say, okay, is what we're doing working? And, and if what's we're working, let's keep doing what's working what are we missing and what do we need to stop? Mm-hmm. And not just like, you know, you're looking for thematics and looking, you know, you're, yeah, you're always going to have, you have 10 employees, you're going to have 10 different opinions, but you're going to yeah. get thematics. And, and I think that's one of the things CEOs, I, I, one, of the, one of the things we'll make sure people get for this podcast is a thing I call the CEO playbook. 
CEOs okay. don't need to be experts in psychological health and safety in my world. What they need to really do is ask questions and one simple question over and over. How do we know what we're doing to support our workers is working? Yes. How do we know our policies or remote policies, our benefit program? How do we know our incentive programs or rewards or record? How do we know? And if you tell me, well, they like it, I want to know who, <laughs> where, what, how, because, you know, I'm a, because most of the CEOs I've worked with are data-driven people. You know, they make their decisions many times on P&Ls on data. Um, so I think there's a, a massive opportunity for us and when, when we're looking at all this kind of thing is if you look at ESG scorecards, which I'm pretty sure you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. CEOs are going to start getting more and more pressure from boards on providing evidence of what they're going to do in the following. Here's a challenge. What percent of our workers come to work because they want to with purpose? Who's coming for a paycheck? What is our sustainability for a workforce to have a highly engaged, talented workforce? And how are we protecting that? Agreed. And that 10 years ago, I don't know, maybe I'm being flippant. No, 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 no. That wasn't, there was nowhere close 10 years ago. I felt like it was almost like an old, like you played rugby, I played football. Oh, we'll just get another left tackle. We'll just, oh, yeah. Hey, you're good, but you're replaceable. I'm not sure we can replace the tacit knowledge and the talent as like we can. It takes a long time to get people institutional to intelligence in relationships. It, uh, I like when people say, Hey, there's a great resignation where, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Where are they all at? You know? And I was like, I have no problems finding people to work with me. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, did you not hear what I said? I have no problems finding people to work with me. He's like, what? Yeah, people don't work for me. They work with me. People own Urgio like it's their own. Like, it's it's our job and as leaders, and for those who have listened to, to me talk about this, as leaders, we need to create... People like to be told what to do. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. You know, the hardest thing as a CEO is not to have somebody tell you what to do. And I'm sure every CEO here has thought about, I'm just going to go to work at McDonald's. I just want to fuck others for day, right? <laughs> Everybody, everybody's had, I want somebody to tell me what to do where I don't have to solve problems. I don't want to have, you know, define the vision of the organization. It's demanding. Where all you have to do is create direction, facilitate the work, elevate the individual, and celebrate the individuals. And if you apply that methodology and really in a qualitative state, give good direction, facilitate the work, elevate the individual, and, and, and celebrate their wins, those are all the things. And I say celebrate, it's more like feedback because sometimes you got to celebrate failures as well. Because I know one of the one of the ladies that works with us, she I, I always tell her, you did the most beautiful mistake ever. Because she screwed up like big time on something that we agreed upon. And the very next day she went the opposite way. It's like, I couldn't help myself. I had to tell them this situation. And she has 
we celebrated that failure because it elevated her as an individual. Yeah. And so for me, what you're saying is, is really true today where there is still the workforce is still the workforce, the transition from being a bartender to being uh, a mayor from being a, it's the, it's the shift in industry now because it's permitted. Now I think people are looking less at the education or the formal education where they're really hiring for attitude, skill, knowledge is third, right? And experience. If you've got the right energy uh, to go into an organization where you feel valued, um, just like you had mentioned before, right? That, that you will attract the right people and that people will work with you um, in that methodology that we've just talked about before. Yeah. And one of the things I find, you might think about this way too, is that why is leadership so hurt, whether you're a CEO or anyone? And I know there's a thousand reasons. But my little simple mind goes, okay, I think there's four things that are happening. One is we give the CEO or we give whoever, they have a job description. So that's their core job. Mm -hmm. And then number two, they have all the processes that are actually need to be done as a part of the role. So it could be all the P&L stuff and all mm -hmm. the you know performance management stuff. The number three is all of the um, projects and ad hoc mm -hmm. work that they need to manage because, you know, there's always evolution happening, which is not core Agreed. work. It's not the administrative stuff day to day. It's not the job. So they have, and then the last bucket is, you know, like the, you know, like a pandemic. It's all this stuff that, you no one like it's that extra stuff that you never actually really thought was going to happen or we're going to sell a company or we're going to go through a change yeah. like so there's four quadrants and you only have so many brain units that's true and if you're need to what i find when i watch organizations in trouble and you said something really important they get lost in prioritizing where their job is, their core job, and they get caught spending so much time fighting about the time between working in the business, on the business, reacting to the new stuff, mm -hmm. and dealing with macroeconomics, crisis, financial stress, like everything that no one planned that was in the strat plan, like no one had let's have a pandemic in a three-year strat plan. No one had, oh, after the pandemic, we're going to have a war that's going to throw off, throw off our entire supply chain. Oh, after this, we're going through it. The biggest you know, part of the world, this little country called China, which has gone through a 75 days of heat stroke, basically, not, you know what I mean, massive yeah. heat issues, and all the challenges that's happened to their economy Hmm, what could possibly go wrong with the supply chain and cost of goods over the next six months? So if you start thinking about all the dynamics around energy, war, political uncertainty, leaders now, it's kind of like I'm saying to somebody, it's kind of like it's managing the crisis with inside the crisis with inside the crisis and accept 
that we're in an unprecedented time of uncertainty right now. And you need to slow down because in those four quadrants, one thing that's missing is the individual taking care of themselves. So you beat me to it. <laughs> right? I was like, it, it, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah. And the how should start with you. And that's something I've struggled with. And I, I'm, I'm only now getting out of it is I'm, I've been so good at being useful. You know, I joined the military at 17 years old. I've always had a, a, a mindset of service, right? Uh, First one, you know, safety, security, operations, crisis management, all stand up. If there's an emergency, I'll step in. I'll make sure that I, I have this very, protective kind of take leadership in doubt. Mm -hmm. And it's only of late that I've learned that I can say no. And, and I need to put my health, both physical and mental at the center of this, because there's so much volatility around me, just like in, in warfare, it's no different than when I was overseas in military operations the situations are volatile. How you are mentally and physically is critical to you not just surviving, but thriving. And if the situation is constant, where we're bombarded with so much information, just, hey, prioritize. What's the situation? What's the mission that we're looking at achieve? How will we achieve it? What do we, tools do we need? And how will we communicate around that? And I think that for me is how you do things kind of comes full circle on that conversation of just like you mentioned, you have to put yourself as a leader and as a CEO at the center of all this and create time. Because if you don't have time to think you're going to react a lot more than. Yeah. And you know, and and, and what I say to somebody, you know, it's interesting. You talked about, you know, uh, emergency response. I was a first responder to ensure search and rescue the coast guard. Uh, and it was my best summer job in the world as a university. <laughs> I was a lifeguard as well. And what's interesting is you need to make calculated decisions. And one of the things we were trained at Coast Guard College is about you don't do anyone any good if you can't if you don't take care of yourself. You don't do anything like yeah. these. You say don't do anything stupid. Like you don't go out. You know, we had certain specs for the ocean because I was in Prince Edward Island. We could go out to certain specs, certain water, certain things we could do. And, and a part of, I think, what happens, and I, maybe this is where I'm showing my age, I believe a lot of times that leaders actually forget that they have, they have a finite resource too, and they have a capacity of potential. Now, willpower and being uber smart and uber driven and super intelligence and all those great things are wonderful. But... At the end of the day, Martin, 750,000 people by the World Health Organization die every year because of what's called hypercortisolism, which means stress due to overwork. And yeah. your health is 90% of it's below your eyes and your physiology. So your willpower and pushing through things, to your point, your, your mind might be fine, but your body might be dying. And your body doesn't always tell you that. And so I think your wisdom on self-care, you know, I'm kind of a type A personality, kind of a driver, kind of, you know, 
don't like failing. And it was interesting over the years, I kind of thought to myself, and more and more as this pandemic has been really good for me, about becoming much more aware that at the end of the day, there are no parades. <laughs> I love that. Oh, You know what I mean? Like at the end of yeah. the day, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. End of the day is, and I watched my dad when my dad passed in PEI, and the amount of people that acknowledged him as a human being. And I can tell you from sitting with people the years have passed, we have to remember why we're doing what we're doing, what our purpose is. And I think that's the leaders that I know, the best CEOs I know, know where their kids are all the time. Mm -hmm. Kids call, they take call. Wife shows up, they walk out of the room. Their family, their friends, their community, those are their pillars. And that gives them the charge to come in and to have the ability to know they're not alone. And that's the CEOs I see that don't react. The ones that have that, you know, they're, they have, the, have a wife or a partner or, other, mm -hmm. or a husband that is their support system, their children, their support system, their parents are the support system, their friends. I'm really, when I work with senior folks, is the ones that are thriving, and maybe I'm only one person, I only have my experiences. Yeah. Those are the ones that have a community. I don't know what your it's, thoughts uh, are. Oh, yeah. I, when, when, you're, when, when people are looking at your gravestone, they're not going to say there was a million dollars in his bank account and he had you know $200 million worth of investment, the big yacht. They go... He was, and I'll say he because I mean it's two guys talking, but he or she was to kind of bring it full circle was how you treated people. It's not what you did. They didn't say, Oh, he died CEO of Urgio and Podcaster and 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 he was a good father, he was a good husband. The best piece of advice that I got when I left the military was from a warrant officer and uh, the warrant officer told me, he said, Hey young man, when you head out in civil life, he says, remember these through these three golden rules. He said, number one, physical and mental health. You can't take care of anybody. If you can't take care of yourself, that was number one. Number two is whoever you call family, you're responsible for. And he said, family is thicker than blood. Whoever you include in your family is who you're responsible for. So take your job seriously. Number three says every fucking thing else after that. Yeah, so those three steps are the piece of advice that this warrant officer gave to me that I've applied. Um, not as intently. When I left, I was like, oh, whatever, old man. What do you know? Um, and as I get older, I become much wiser through experience. And I'm not wise because I'm old. It's just There's a lot more scars and bruises on my body right now. And come to realize that that mental health component, I know what he was talking about now. Because as a leader, you know, we are responsible for the livelihoods and we take that very seriously. And sometimes, you know, we went through um, losing one of our senior people within the organization. He decided to leave. And as much as I wanted to be, I felt like I failed the individual. I was like, I, Hey, listen, I'm the managing partner. I should take leadership. 
why is he leaving? Why is he not happy? I, I failed him. And uh, my other partner, Kevin, my COO integrator, he's like, he's a grown man. He can make decisions for himself. And, um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of CEOs out there that take ownership for people who are leaving the organization, not happy, but there's only so many things like Bill mentioned that you can control and things you can't control. What are you ready and willing to accept? And I think that for me, for a guy who works with many, many businesses and coaches a lot of leaders and participates in roll-ups and all those things, fundamentally as a human being, when you're elected or voted or the chief, sometimes you have to be kind to yourself. You, you know, well. it's it's interesting too, is, is that, you know, what I find the most humbling thing when I listen to you is, is the, sometimes we don't appreciate how hard it is to do all this. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, it's kind of like pizza or salad, you know, from a behavioral economics perspective, most of us live really healthy in the future, like salad, exercise, diet. Oh, so all I got all that stuff. But today, I, you know, I got a, I'm kind of in dysregulation. I'm not feeling, so I want to kind of, food is a big addiction in our country for people changing state. You know, 16% of our population are heavy drinkers because they're trying to change state. But it's interesting to correct for leaders who actually make their day about taking care of themselves. Like, like Eli Mosk. I don't know the person. <laughs> I don't know if what he says is truth or not. But I saw him recently in a TikTok introduce himself as I'm the richest man in the world, basically $100 billion richer than a number two. So he's at $250 billion and number two is at $160 billion. So try to get your head around that one. But then you start <laughs> saying to yourself, that, but he gets up in the morning, does a little exercise, reads a little bit, and gets inspired by some fellow TikToker about positivity or something to get some thinking. And they, and what I, what I got from that was, isn't it interesting that somebody has everything that he does still gets a joke. I got to feed myself before I can do something else. And, and that's what I, yeah. that's what I got. He feeds himself so that he can thrive versus lots of folks get up first thing in the morning to get a coffee. And I know I do it myself. So I'm saying get right on the computer because you want to do your work versus the days where I don't do that. I sit on my couch. I do a little journaling. I think a little bit about what my day is, where my bumps could be, how am I going to react, take my dog link out, we go, I go do a little walk, take that hour for me. My days exponentially are better. Oh, I, it's not a hard concept, oh. <laughs> but hard to do. I, Oh, you know how much I struggle with that? It's it's just beyond I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. It's stoicism, you name it. Oh my goodness gracious. I it it how you do something. I want to kind of bring it full sure. circle on this because this kind of we're talking about people who and let's take Bill and I who've done this before. We're a little bit more mature to to some extent than the you know, the rest of the audience, but yet we're still struggling with that. So don't think for one single minute 
that if you're a young CEO or an old CEO or young CEO, you're a guy, you're a girl, you're a they, I don't give a shit what you are. Mm. It is not easy. No. But focus on how you do something and take the time, make the time to start with you. Yeah, I love it. Bill, what is your go-to book? What is the thing that is on your nightstand, your movie? You've written so many books, but what is the one book that has really made an impact on you that you keep in your back pocket all the time? It's interesting. It's an old book, and it's and it's uh, it's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I love you. I love you. Mine's the same one. And I I typically, (laughs) when I go for my walks, I have a book on tape and I listen to it once a year. And it's kind of my jam. And I just kind of remind myself is kind of every time I listen to it, I get a little bit more humbled by going, holy moly. You think I, you know, you kind of think you're going to listen to this kind of stuff and presto, presto. But we, we keep forgetting there's many parts in us that have had different experience in their life that we're constantly evolving. And my newest book, which I wrote about is regret because I found I'm finding a lot of human beings are spending a lot of time in regret and they feel they're trapped by their mistakes. Like this whole perfection. Mm. like, you know, if I'm going out with someone, Martin and I make a mistake and, you know, one minute they tell me they love me. The next minute they dump me. And I spent a lot of time going, well, if I wouldn't have done this and this, but that didn't really matter because of many times that human beings who want to be together will figure out how to work through messy. And so what happens is, is that we as human beings, regret is the most powerful transformation emotion of all we have. It's the biggest teacher, but there's two types of regret. Those are the mistakes and those things we don't haven't tried to do or attempt it. And because of fear, or relationships. And I find a lot of human beings, it's interesting that would where I'm why I'm saying this to you is that life goes by fast. <laughs> and I have more behind me now. And so I had a question the other day when I was at the golf course of I'm gonna be 60 next year. Mm-hmm. And a person said to me, What are you gonna how are you gonna live your next 25 years? And it really, really hit me going, wow, that's a long time. But I don't have to conform to the silliness I did before because I'm learning that I'm good enough as I am. And by the way, not perfect. I'm not everyone's bag of tea. But I spent a long time worrying about being good enough for everybody versus being good enough for me. And once I was able to make that transition, which I'm still focusing on, it's kind of funny. You don't really you know you get frustrated and you know you're you know i live with anxiety so i'm good at being worried by times but it's if you're if you just start to get the joke that we define what we want to be agreed and it's okay that and i find that i tell senior people it's okay that if you make mistakes over and over and over as long as you're clear what your North Star is. That's so true. You know, you're clear what your North Star is. Yeah. Thank you so very much, Bill. What, I mean, we could go on for hours and hours on the, one of the topics or the other topics. Uh, I just absolutely love the conversation today. There's so many, 
nuggets that we pulled out of it. I really want to thank you for being on the show. Oh, thanks today. for having me. Yeah, so you can find, so for the audience, you can find, we'll put on the link below, you can find all of Bill's books and services that he has. We'll put them on the uh, tabs as well, what CEOs talk about dot com webpage um and i'm sure bill is on linkedin as well yeah i am and i have a newsletter on nick linkedin too so I'm well, there you go the workplace mental health <laughs> um thanks a lot bill it was just a, a pleasure to have you on the show thanks nice to get to meet you martin appreciate your time Fabulous. Thank you. With that being said, my name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we today translated the strategy of living as a leader and really translating that into how you work on a day-to-day basis. So with that, thank you very much. Please like, subscribe, and click the notification button. button sorry, <laughs> I'm talked out today um, so that you can get uh, notified of the next show. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.